you have your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So many of us have heard the phrase, trust but verify, which essentially says give people the benefit of the doubt, but double check to see if they are who they say they are. Well, in the text this morning, the Apostle John in the fourth chapter has a bit of a different approach. His approach is verify or test before trusting. We're going to be looking at two things here in this text. Number one, outside testing, verses one through three. And number two, inner confidence, verses four through six. Number one, outside testing, verses one through three. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world." John is essentially telling the believers to not believe every spirit. What does he exactly mean by that? Well, the word spirit is used many different ways in the New Testament. It's important to know what he means by that word itself. The first use of of spirit is the human spirit, which is the immaterial part of us, which includes the intellect, desires, emotion, both good and bad. There are two verses that we're going to look at. Romans 8.16 specifically says the spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So there's that immaterial part of man that we could be in reference to here that John is talking about. The second use of spirit is the Holy Spirit. Back to Romans 8.16, we see that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit confirms to us that we are his. That is, the immaterial part of us connects with the Holy Spirit to verify that we are his children, that we are God's children. And then you have John 3.8, where Nicodemus has a confrontation, or I should say a conversation with Jesus, and he asks some questions. And Jesus answers and tells him specifically about how the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, works. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit, is the Holy Spirit. Another usage for the word spirit is the demonic or evil spirit. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 says this, Now the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, we also see in reference to what exactly could be referred to in the word spirit. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, And the twelve were with him, that is with Jesus. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. 
So the use of spirit can also be those that are demonic, those that are truly an evil spirit. And then there's the fourth usage of, of spirit in the Bible, which is the ministering or angelic spirit. We see that in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So the question is back in 1 John chapter 4, if we're good students of the word, which one or maybe multiple is he speaking of? If you're looking at it, is it the human spirit? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it the demonic evil spirits? Or number four, the ministering angelic spirit? Well, he's essentially using this text to point us to the usage of one and three. The human spirit, which would be the false prophets that are the tool that is used by number three, the demonic or evil spirit. He mentions false prophets. You see, most of us tend to think in the spiritual realm that it's the unseen and those interactions are apart many times from actual people when those are very much connected throughout all of Scripture. Many of us don't realize this, but we are either a tool of God or a tool of Satan sometimes, simply in the way that we allow ourselves to be used. Here in this text, he talks about prophets. A prophet was to do two things. Deliver messages from God that met the local needs of that congregation and predict the future. This was how he validated his message. A prophet's message and prediction had to come from direct revelation from God or else it would be called out for being false. This is why the prophets all the way through the scriptures were to always be tested and were still to be tested during John's time when they came around and said, wait a second, Yes, Jesus existed, but he really didn't come in the flesh. Jesus was a spirit. The criteria should not only be what people do or offer, believer, but what people believe. And unfortunately, this is very missed today. So many, so many members of the church are deceived based on what somebody does or offers them, not realizing that what they believe matters not just what they do. This is very applicable to how people choose their church. You see, so many choose a church simply based on these. It could be the personality of the pastor or leadership in the church. I really like that pastor. He has a way of saying things that nobody else does. Or it could be the activities offered. They have a lot of fun stuff for my family. That's why I want to go to that church. Another person's reason might be, well, the programs of the ministries, right? They have a singles Bible study, a couples Bible study, a youth group for my kids. Whatever it is, that's what attracts me. It could be the music style of worship, right? Ah, the hymns are boring. I want contemporary music. That's why I go to that church. Or, you know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure all of us would readily admit this, but sometimes, you know, you've, you've been around Christians like this, right? That worship service... Right? It's, it's experience. It's, this is what I really like. That's why I go there. Though none of these are bad in and of themselves to consider, to consider that people think this way 
is to also realize that we are just as guilty of misjudging because we choose a church based upon how something or someone can meet our needs. Rather than what scripture clearly states is the standard. Doctrinal integrity is important, church. I've had this conversation with my son. Dad, when I get older, when I go to a church, and if it's not here, where should I go? And one of the big things that we talk about, and I'm open with my son about this, make sure that the word of God is priority in that church. Make sure that it lines to the principles of scripture. More so than if the, the man is easy to listen to. Is that church aligning to what scripture clearly states? You see, the specific false teacher that John is getting to is the one that denied the incarnation of Christ. Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. John is fighting ascetic Gnosticism, which taught that Jesus only appeared to have a body, but he was essentially a spirit, making the suffering, death, and burial not a genuine expression of what Jesus really did. They diminish what Jesus did. John stresses the humanity of Christ. It's important to note, just because John was focused on this particular false teaching does not mean that that is the only false teaching in the Bible. Whenever you read this text, some people misinterpret and say, see, this is all that matters. Does a person claim this, that Jesus came in human flesh? That is not the only thing about false teachers in the Bible. That is particular to this group of believers that John is talking to because this has already infiltrated that church. False teachers or false prophets are called out throughout the scripture and what they teach, which comes out in what they live. You see, number one, they deceive others by flattery, only serving themselves. You see that in Romans 16, 17, and 18. This would be the equivalent of a preacher that tells you all that you want to hear so the money can come in. Another thing about false teachers is they make up their own interpretation, not understanding the clear teachings of Scripture. This would be something new that's been discovered, which is really an old heresy repackaged. You see that in 1 Timothy 3, verse through 7. Another thing about false teachers is they live contrary to Scripture standards, promoting what God is against. In Titus 1, 15 and 16. This would be the modern progressive Christian movement that will not stand against sexual sins in the church and celebrate their own publicly. These are priests and pastors that proclaim that God is okay with their lifestyle and identify with that which is in opposition to God. That's false teaching. And unfortunately, so many Christians buy into it because they know somebody that struggles with a certain sin, so they have this proclivity in them to now deny that that's really that serious. Before you know it, your version of what God's word really says is not the same one. Do not let people that are nice or people you know define what God's word clearly teaches. There are many nice people outside the Christian faith that live a better life than you and I do sometimes. It still doesn't make their faith accurate or genuine. The next phrase here is, of God. Of God, that whether they are of God. If one is able to affirm the truth of Jesus Christ, 
He can only do so because the Spirit of God has enlightened him. Pay attention, believer, to when you listen to Christian authors or sermons that are online or something that's shared on Facebook. What do they really say about Christ? Because the truth is, a lot of people will proclaim Jesus, but the Jesus they proclaim is not the one found in the Word of God. The Jesus that they proclaim is the one that has been redefined to fit modern context. To redefine into modern morality. Not the Jesus that was and is consistently what he's always been. In Matthew 16, Peter's confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, is essentially a move of the spirit in his life. And he makes the statement, confesses. By this you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. False teachers do not make a positive confession of who Christ is. Usually they don't say anything about that. Essentially, false teachers typically will take whatever the Bible says about Jesus and turn around to you are the one in charge, you're in command of your own destiny, God has a plan for you. It is always about you. It is rarely about Jesus. And if they do mention Jesus, it's how Jesus can benefit you only. Because at the end of the day, you're the center of Jesus' universe, according to false teachers. By not saying anything positive, they are masking what they truly believe. What John is getting at here is for these believers to stop believing everything that sounded right. Believer, if we were to be honest, there have been times in our lives that we have bought into a false teaching without even realizing it. It sounded close. It sounded right. But if we did some real digging, if we really studied it out, we would realize, wait a second, something's off here. So many think that the fruit that they, we are to judge in a false teacher is their works. Believer, John clearly tells us it's what they confess, what they promote and teach is what matters. There are many false teachers that seem to be blessed of God because their ministries are doing just fine. They even do things for the community. But that is not the standard according to Scripture. And if you and I fall for that, we are deceived. False teachers are hard to spot because they look like the real thing many times. Now, sometimes they're very easy to spot. They kind of give it away quickly. But false teachers wouldn't be false teachers if they were easy to spot every time. It's not always that easy. Constable points out about this text, John did not say that every spirit that denies Jesus, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus. Often heretical teaching masks its deviations from the truth by simply failing to affirm important biblical truth. Rather than proclaiming Jesus is not the Christ, they fail to affirm that he is the Christ. And it's very clear, in fact, um, I remember one interview on CNN false teacher was asked specifically, is Jesus the only way? Well, you know, I really can't say anything about that. Who am I to say? Who are you to say? And you're a proclaimer of the Bible? Which Jesus are you talking about? 
If there is more than one way, we are not seeing Jesus for who he is. And I get it. Our emotions get wrapped up in that, right? Because we know people that are lost, that are going to hell. But because we feel for them a certain way, does it make that true? Because Scripture clearly calls it the spirit of Antichrist. It's essentially demonic because it is an opposition or replacement of Christ. Just as John earlier points out in the book in 1 John 2.22, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that saves. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. What someone says about Jesus and his saving work depends largely in part whether they see the Jesus of the Bible or not. If Jesus alone can't save, he's not the Jesus of the Bible. The part that should terrify us in the church is that Satan is not opposed to you and me believing in a Jesus. As long as it's not the one that's clearly presented in the Bible. If your view of Jesus is the one that conforms to you and your thoughts and your opinions and your likes and your tastes, then the Jesus that you're worshiping is not the Jesus of the Bible. Because the Jesus of the Bible confronts us. The Jesus of the Bible calls his best friend a tool of Satan before he goes to the cross. The Jesus of the Bible reaches to those that are broken and hurting. He picks them back up, but he doesn't excuse their sin. And we do. Unfortunately, we typically excuse our own sin. This is why we are to do inside testing as well. Make sure that we ourselves are aligned because that will bring about inner confidence. Number two, inner confidence. Verses four through six. You are of God, little children, and, over, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here is the reason for success, believer. You have the Holy Spirit. That's your reason for success in the Christian life. We have already overcome the opposition if we are in Christ. Yet so many Christians live like a failure every single day. And the reason we live like failures is because we've swapped teams. We're living in darkness rather than light. We're letting the powers of darkness overtake the strongholds in our lives to the point where you can't even tell whether we are in the light or in darkness. It's such a mixed bag that we live. We have our good days and our bad days, right? You've ever heard yourself say that? Well, you know, we have our good days and our bad days. How true that is. 
Believer, you have everything you need to be successful in the spiritual walk. John is using a word there that I think should bring about such confidence in the believer that's fighting sin in their own life that they need to reread this and take it in. For you are of God, little children, and have what? Overcome them. Paul makes a statement, we are more than conquerors. Why are we so pathetic? We're conquerors acting like losers. The victory's in Christ. It's not in us. Why do we have this victory? Why have we overcome? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You win because God wins. You lose because you lose. Do you really believe that, believer, for a second? Do you really believe that God is greater than Satan? Or do you live as if Satan is the one that controls everything and you have no power in your life? Do you believe this, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Do you believe it? And I don't mean in a superficial, yeah, I believe it. I mean, does it really take root? You live your life in light of this. You know God's going to make a way when it seems impossible. Believer, the Holy Spirit is more powerful than Satan. And that is something you ought to be reminded of constantly because you and I live in such a defeatist attitude, it's unbelievable. Christians that are looking forward to the return of Christ should be victorious, looking forward to, to it as a glorious event. And yet many of us are like, oh, it's doom. We're, oh, it's over. There's no hope. What are you believing? Please, if that book that you read just keeps pulling you down and not lining to the word of God, throw it out. I don't even care if it's a Christian author. You have victory because of Christ. You're not looking for the Antichrist. You're looking for Jesus' return. Stop giving more credit to the powers of darkness than they deserve. The only way the darkness has any sway in our lives is if we hide in it. When it's brought out to the light, when it's out in the open, we see this is what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to change us from the inside out. It no longer has power. You see, the truth is shame wants us to hide all this stuff, right? I'm a sinner, so I better not say anything to anybody else. If people only knew what I really struggle with, they wouldn't want me around. Let me, let me encourage you with something, believer. Every single one of us has some deep, dark secrets that nobody knows, except God himself. 
There's some stuff your spouse don't know that God knows. And you know it's true. The only way the darkness has any sway in our lives is if we join by walking in darkness and betraying the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. Do you realize this, believer, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, so when you decide to walk in darkness, you're essentially saying, I don't really want to listen to what the Holy Spirit says. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah, I know that's what the Bible says, but does it really matter? It does matter. Because I want you to pause for a minute and consider something. The Holy Spirit that's been given to you, you actually grieve him by doing that. I want you to take for a moment and realize that Jesus offered his life for you. And when you decide, you know what, I don't really care what you say. I'm going to live my life my way. Even though you bought me. Even though you truly are my Lord. You're essentially telling him, it's worthless what you did for me. I don't value it. The way you and I overcome the powers of darkness is knowing that we already have the victory in Christ. You have to start with the right premise. You have the victory already in Christ. We live in faith rather than in doubt. We affirm the truth and deny the lies. Believer, if you want to live in truth, you really need to make this book so important to you. You will not live in truth consistently apart from it. You won't. You'll be living in lies thinking you're living in truth. We overcome by fighting temptation that others readily give into without even thinking. Believer, I want to pause for a moment and make a statement that I think is, it has to be understood in the church. When a believer is fighting sin and they're struggling against sin, you have no right to judge them. Particularly if they're fighting against that sin. I'm not talking about when they give up and you have to try to come alongside and encourage them. But when they're fighting sin, and yes, they fail, you need to be an encouragement to them. I dare say that sometimes when we've gotten victory over something in our lives, we tend to be a hypocrite by going after others that have still been losing in that battle. And we need to be careful about that. We need to be very careful about that. Next phrase here, they are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. This would be the false teachers and false converts. People of the world listen to the Antichrist or false teachers, and they are accepted by them. If the church is to be a light in this world, it needs to make a difference with this world. Meaning there needs to be a clear distinction made in why the world will not accept what the church is offering. Because it's diametrically opposed to their worldview. Those that are in the world outside of Christ are in fellowship together with a different worldview than we do as believers. What's unfortunate is a follower of Christ separating in fellowship with the people of God to join the world in its worldview. Nothing breaks a pastor's heart more than when a believer who ought to know better does not align with the people of God and the things of God. 
and they somehow think the world has something better for them. Oh, the world is better for them during that season of sin that they want to be a part of, sure. I mean, it wouldn't be enticing if it wasn't true during that time. But the end result of that is destruction. As, as Paul puts it, the end result is death. The wages of sin is death. That's the payment. This is where many believers naively find certain things harmless that Scripture clearly warns about. I just need my quick fix, right? Whatever that might be. Certain entertainment we consume, books we read, podcasts we listen to. This is from a worldly perspective I'm talking about. And we think, well, that's not going to really make a big difference. I can, I can listen to that. I can be a part of that. It really won't influence me that much. I go to church on Sundays. Romans 12, 2 tells us not to conform to this world's values and customs. But be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Focusing on the things of God and his standard. Believer, as soon as you think that other things can't influence the way that you think, you're deceived. There are extremes that Christians fall into when it comes to a battle of sin. Some assume that everybody has the same struggle, so they put up a bunch of guardrails and assume everybody else needs to put the same guardrails up. Others are deceived in the other way by thinking, hey, you know what, since... Since I have the Spirit of God, I have freedom in Christ, I can go ahead and do this, it won't really affect me. And before you know it, you're in the same pit that others are in. You're struggling with the same sin that you thought you wouldn't struggle with. You thought it was only another brother or sister that could fall into that. See, Romans 12, 2 tells us to not conform to this world's standards and customs. Believer, I think if we were to be honest with ourselves, we have conformed in some ways. The question is where, and are we honest about it and doing something about it? The first step is only admitting you have a problem. That's not the only step. I would dare say the reason many Christians have shifted in their view of biblical morals is due to a lack of intentional reading and meditating on the Word of God. And the passive approach of not vetting what comes in through the eyes, the ears, and the mind. Literally, we live our lives as believers sometimes with no filters. We don't even realize where this person's coming from. And I get it. Some of us are like, give it to me straight. I want to hear it straight. And unfortunately, we hear it straight from the world, but we somehow misinterpret it and still think that God is okay with what the world is presenting. Listen, believer, bottom line is, the world isn't always going to come out boldly and tell you what they really are doing or thinking. It'll look good sometimes. The world wouldn't be enticing directly to believers that are faithful to Christ if it wasn't working things out nuanced. Here's one that comes up in the church. I feel more love from the world than other believers. This is a tough one. Because this one can get any believer that is out of fellowship with the saints. Any of us can fall into this trap if we've been apart from the church of God, the family of God. We only know the world during that time. 
So that is one of the reasons why this argument for us would make sense. The typical reason that this is the case is that there's usually patterns of sin that have developed in our lives that makes this obvious that we are accepted by the world and not by other believers. And we tend to think verses like 1 Corinthians 15.33 are not true. Do not be deceived, Paul speaking. You know why he says that? Because you can be. No, it's not me. I won't, I won't be deceived. It might, Satan might deceive others. The world might deceive others. Not me. I'm good. I'm beyond this. I've been in the faith for so many years. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Who you hang out with matters. It absolutely does. This one's probably the hardest one to, for me to deal with as a pastor. It's a lie that I have seen in many churches, not just my own. From a boy growing up in the church, this one hits home with a lot of people that I know. I feel disconnected. So in order to spice up my marriage and feel satisfied, I look at things that I shouldn't or I read things that I shouldn't. If you can visualize in a book what you can see on a screen, it doesn't make it any less harmful, believer. I don't know why we think only movies are the only way that we can be enticed into sin. First Thessalonians gives us a clear indication of this. You want to know what God says? Not what we think? Here's what God says. Is the New Living Translation. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Why? Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching. It's not legalism to have standards with morals before God. But is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. If you have to go to the world to fix what God has given you the solution to, you're looking in the wrong place. It's amazing how many of us know better, but still think it's also harmless. Believer, it's destroying all of us. This is destroying the church today. The church looks to the world to solve what is a spiritual problem that only God himself can. Why would you borrow from the world which fails in all these areas? 
Why would you think they have a better answer than the Word of God does? And I dare say every single one of us throughout our childhood to adulthood have fallen to this trap of thinking that I've got my own coping mechanism I need to go through. I need to do my own thing. I don't need what the Bible says. Stop putting rules on this, God. Why do you got to put rules on our relationship? The truth is, believer, he's redeemed you. He has every right. He's rescued you. He has every right. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, right? Don't we sing songs like that? Do we realize what we're singing? Believer, if Sagan can disguise himself as an angel of light, what makes you think he can only fool others and not you? The believers that John is referencing in 1 John submitted to the apostles' teaching, which is essentially the writings of Scripture that we have recorded for us today. How can we as Christians be so off in our walk with God? It goes back to, is the word of God a priority in your life? It seems so basic, but why is it so hard to do? Why is something that seems so simple of a solution, hey, if I want to walk more consistently with God, I need to be in his word. Why is that so hard to do? Sounds so basic, right? I mean, we have children that sing songs. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 right? Like, we know those songs. So why is it so hard as adults? Are we so bad at these disciplines? Maybe we need to take a look at why it's important to hold each other accountable in these things. Stir one another up to love and good works. When Christians are so off in their walk with God, they are simply allowing deception to creep into their lives and living with a disregard and outright rejection of truth. You and I can only have confidence when we walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Believer, if you want to have confidence in your Christian life, make this a habit in your life. Make praying a habit in your life. I love what Jude says, that Jesus is one day going to present us blameless before the Father. Are we living in light of that? You mean... Me? With my horrible sin? Yes. In the flesh, believer, there will always be doubt and weakness. You want to know why you don't have power in your spiritual walk? It's because you're trying to do it on your own and you keep pretending that you don't. You think a few Bible verses sprinkled is going to solve all this. Your verse of the day ain't going to solve it. You need to be in the word intentionally, wanting to apply it in your life. Thank God, speak to me. Tell me what I need to do. Praying daily. As Paul puts it, right? Pray without ceasing. Constantly in fellowship with God. 
It all starts in the mind, believer. And that is where we must fight the battle with discernment. Unfortunately, too many believers think they have discernment in areas they don't. Which is one of the reasons why when a brother or sister comes and approaches us and says, hey, you know, you might want to watch out. This is actually going to lead you down a bad path. We go, ah, you don't know as much as I do. I know better. It's not doing anything bad in my life. And we fast forward a few years, and for some reason, the very thing we thought wasn't going to be a part of our life is. Many a believer has fallen for that trap. Believer, don't ever take the words of Scripture and the warnings of Scripture as just something that you should be shocked by, stunned by. It is to bring you back to the shepherd of your souls. It is to bring you back to Christ and realize how much you need him. How much apart from him you can't do. How much you're going to keep losing and not winning in the spiritual life without him. So in closing, conclusion, are you verifying before trusting? Are you verifying before trusting? Maybe you're the type to take people at their word and think as long as it has a Christian by the label, it's fine. Believer, don't fall for that. Not everything in Christian media is wholesome. Not every, every Christian book written is good for you to read and think that you're really going to take a proper biblical worldview out of it. Just because it has Christian in front of it doesn't mean it's safe. Maybe you've relied on your own feelings when it comes to the things of God. And as long as something felt right to you, you were in the clear. Right? I feel like this is right, so I'm going to do it. Remember, the feelings can be very deceptive. How many of you have ever been upset about something and only realized, goodness gracious, what was I all upset about? Feelings can lie to us. They're deceptive. They're not a clear sign of it being of God or of Satan. Maybe you're influenced by those that are seemingly meeting certain needs that you have, not realizing that they are further chipping away at the truths of scriptures that you've, you've slowly begun to ignore. You've been around this for a while, you're like, I think I know the Bible well enough, they won't really change any of that. Slowly but surely, you see your view of scripture change based on who you've been around. False teachers will chip away at the truth of God's word in your life. Which is one of the reasons why many Christians will be in a solid church and go to a false teaching church because it suits their needs or wants. They want a pastor that'll tickle their ears, tell them how wonderful they are, deny entirely the majority of scripture and the warnings that are in there. Misapply verses like Jesus come to give you life and give you life abundantly thinking that Jesus is here to make you prosperous. Believer, maybe your position on certain things that you once stood for or against has changed simply because you've been influenced by the entertainment business, maybe a book you've been reading, maybe even a person you personally know that no longer holds to the standard scripture in their own life. I am very careful when someone asks me a question of what I think about whatever the topic is to not answer if I don't know for sure. 
Because I know that somebody could ask me and I could lead that person astray. And believer, I want you to understand the gravity of that when you have other believers talk to you. You may be influenced by others, but others are also influenced by you. And it matters that you and I are faithful to the word of God. Listen to the Holy Spirit by looking into the word, not your feelings or your intuition. Unfortunately, spiritually speaking, a lot of Christians think they have street smarts when they don't. They don't know how to be in the world because they don't have book smarts themselves. They don't know the word well enough to have street smarts, spiritually speaking. It's just as important to not add to what God says with needless restrictions, but to also not take away from what has already been clearly revealed in the word of God. Believer, it should matter the influence the world has in your life, your families, and even in this church. There are certain things you should never allow through the door. Because you know that there is a hook attached at the end. And you don't want to take that bait. We wouldn't be alert if it wasn't something that was enticing. In closing, here's what Spurgeon says. Discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the difference between right and almost right. Right. 